safety. You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 
and the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. You just heard right there, Zavuki Moo, produced by Brian Eno from the record Modern Songs from Russia. And the song we heard there from 1988-1989 was Traffic Policeman, Zavuki Moo. Today on the Nardwara Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with the greatest sports mascot of all time, the guy that started it all, the San Diego Chicken, the famous chicken on the Nardwara Human Serviette Radio Show here today. And what goes with the San Diego Chicken? Nobody but Malcolm X. Coming up right now, we're going to be playing Malcolm Little from the Malcolm X Memorial, a tribute in music LP by the Artistic Heritage Ensemble and Philip Coran. This is the Malcolm X Memorial with Malcolm Little, followed by an interview with the San Diego Chicken on a Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada.
I'm the San Diego chicken. Oh, maybe that's my alter ego. But in reality, eh, yeah, nobody likes ah, Ted Giannoulis from London, Ontario, Canada. You are the famous chicken. Yes, of course. The one and only San Diego famous chicken. Woo! Can you believe it? It's in better than getting a real job, Nardi. Now, famous chicken, it doesn't go all the way back to Harpo Marx. Does it go back to Harpo Marx? I gotta tell you, this guy was the San Diego chicken without a beak back in the day. This is what's a, this guy was actually a real inspiration for me, I must say. We have a quote here. Yes. The famous chicken story is classic Americana. Well, yes, but the roots are in London, Ontario, where I started off. All I did, Nardwar, was take my Canadian schoolboy sense of humor and market it in a sports event, and voila, here I am, chicken a la king. That's what I was thinking. Like, people have said, the famous chicken story is classic Americana, but it's not as Canadiana, classic Canadiana. <laughs> well, you know, it's like John Candy, and it's like uh, Jim Carrey, and I guess even Lorne Michaels, and, uh, and a host of other Canadian personalities have got on to, uh, to uh, big things just happened to fall into things and it happened in the US but you know the incubation started right here in Canada so do you think it's classic Americana do you think they say that because of the grand hatching how is the grand hatching classic Americana is that the rags to riches story the grand hatching yeah it's kind of like off the wall and and irreverent and uh, uh, really I suppose um, just over the top you might say there was a lot of wiggle room for that and, uh, and thankfully in the States they've got a, a great sense of humor about themselves and uh, uh, you're able to do uh, stuff like that where hatching out of a styrofoam 10-foot egg is actually baseball history. And it could only happen in America where your idea was about to be stolen, wasn't it? You had to, like, show them, didn't you? Only in America. <laughs> well, you know, I guess, I, guess, I guess you could say, yeah, it's an only in America story in, in that regard. Yeah, the, there's a, a wide, wide margin of, of, of doing things, uh, like I say, off the top of your head and see if it flies and who salutes. It's not an easy life being the San Diego fan famous chicken, is it chicken? Well, 
no, I, I guess not. You know, you got to cross a lot of roads and keep your head up or, you know, and look both sides of your beak. But, uh, you know, I got to tell you, though, it, it, it's, it's, it's fun. It, it, it adds a, a lot of frivolity when I do uh, various sporting events. And best of all, Nardi, it's better than getting a real job. Well, it's like being in a band. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could it's say It's like being that. on the road. You're on the road. You're in a band. You're working it. You know, I, you know, I, that's a good point, you know, and, um, and, and rather than playing bass or getting on the drums, I guess uh, you're out there cavorting for a, a few laughs and, uh, and yeah, but you're right. You play to an audience every night. You got to love what you do and um, you try to create on the spot as well and, and you do your, you, you got to rehearse a little bit, but you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the only thing, I don't have groupies though. Well, you might have had groupies when you emceed for the Ramones. What can you say about working oh, with the Ramones? Oh, how did you know that? Woo! Nardi, you know your stuff, buddy. Yes, I did emcee a Ramones concert. Yeah, you're, and you're right. And I, I actually met some goth chicks. They're very cool. And um, But I've also been, been on stage with many bands. George Thorogood, Jay Giles Band. I'm dating myself a little bit. But I even stopped Elvis one night uh, cold to show you how far back I go. I stopped him cold in laughter in the middle of a show. He was like watching you. You were in the aisles. What were you doing in an Elvis show? Like you go from Elvis to now. That's incredible, famous chicken. Nardwar, the chicken is everywhere. You know, I was there, believe it or not, because he was visiting San Diego. Had to take in an Elvis show. This was about a year before he passed away. And I was goofing in the, in the grandstands and down the aisles while he was singing. And he doubled over in laughter, stopped the show, could not continue, apologized to the audience, and then told everybody, I got to remind the chicken, my manager's name is... The Colonel. Ah! Elvis, the famous chicken. How about Alice Cooper? Oh, I never met Alice, you know. Because but... he has a chicken incident, doesn't he? Have you heard about the famous chicken incident, Alice Cooper? What can you say about that famous chicken? Well, you know, for, you know, it's very interesting. I did not know that chicken, I, I must say. But whatever he did, I got to say this. Uh, it helped eliminate my competition, at least for one night. Ba-boom! <laughs> did you get down with any other punk bands, though? What other bands you do? Emceed for Ramones? Did you get down with punk? You're into the punk. Are you into the goth? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I like all sorts of music. My, my roots are really in, in, in rock and roll, you, you might say, and uh, I really enjoy all, all types of, of, of music myself, personally. In fact, in my show, in my chicken shtick, when I perform Nardwar, I use uh, various uh, uh, pieces of music. can go anything from, from uh, symphonic to, uh, to, to uh, uh, punk and uh, everything in between. Exactly, though. You brought rock and roll to baseball, didn't you? You brought it. I, that's true. That's Nobody had done that before, had they? And here's the reason why, Nardwar. I started off with a rock and roll radio station back in the 70s. So I did a lot of things off the wall that were unprecedented and unheard of. And it just manifested itself, so to speak. I can't believe a chicken just said the word manifested. But anyway, um, but it just kind of snowballed uh, in, in effect. And it really took off. So I brought recorded music to live stadium events because of my background in roots and rock and roll with a radio station in San Diego. You, the same person that's in the suit now, was in the suit back then. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm not a franchise. It's not like a department store Santa Claus. I'm one of a kind, just like you are, Nardwar. Because nowadays, thank you so much, famous chicken. Woo! Because nowadays, there's companies that make mascots, aren't there? There's companies that make mascots. They're very similar for all the teams. That's a good point. There's a whole cottage industry. Even the Olympics nowadays make a big deal about having a character. But in the time that I called BC, 
before chicken. There was none of this. There weren't even crazy face-painted fans. There weren't uh, uh, crazy mascots. There weren't even really a whole lot of cheerleaders uh, for teams. So I kind of like started, like I say, this whole cottage industry where you could be yourself at a sporting event. And, and for that matter, even rock and roll events. These companies now, though, they create these mascots. They're all the same. They're all roly-poly. They're not ripped like you, are they? Oh, thank you, my man. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Yeah, that's a good point. They are kind of roly-poly. More, more like uh, for kids to be patted on the head, you know, and that sort of thing. But I, I'm kind of like a, uh, oh, like I say, uh, think of like a Peter Sellers or a Jim Carrey or like I say, a Fuzzy Harpo Marx. And Famous Chicken, you also integrate Devo into your act. You have some Devo in there. Whip it. Thank you. Oh, yes. I I'm a big devotee, you might say. And uh, one of the things I do is where I bring out a rubber mannequin dressed up as an umpire or a referee. And uh, I basically bang them around, you might say. It's a wrestling match that I win thanks to Whip It. And so I took the piece of music from Whip It and, and merged it with this uh, unique act uh, that I thought of because inspired by the music. And uh, really, uh, it, 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 it's, it's been a, a chicken signature for, for many years. And Famous Chicken, you also dressed up as Vanilla Ice. You're not afraid to dress up like Vanilla Ice. Woo! I gotta tell you, back in the day, you know, it was really something, and it still carries forth to this day, where I go out and do uh, Ice Ice Baby, but with chicken lyrics, with my own lyrics, where I put down the other... Can you give a little sampling of some of the lyrics? Okay. Hmm. Yo. Collaborate and listen. Chicken is here with a new sensation. The homeboys, the best in the game. They're playing their way to the Hall of Fame. Will it ever stop? No, I don't think so. Watch them every night, and they'll go right to the top and win it all, because no one can touch them when they come to play ball. Ba-boom! Famous Chicken in the house. Yes, sir. So Famous Chicken, people will be saying, when's the chicken record going to come up? But you had a record. You had a record. Yes, can you believe it? Yeah, Do You Think I'm Sexy came out in the 70s. You know, kind of like a derivation of Rod Stewart's song, but uh, it was done by the KGB Chicken, as I was known back in my radio days for the radio station. And uh, I, I still think it's floating out there somewhere on on a, on a label. And yeah, uh, to the you had a 45, Famous Chicken. I had a 45, if you can believe it. <laughs> Woohoo! And Famous Chicken, do you have bubble gum? Is there Famous Chicken bubble gum? There was a time there was chicken bubble gum, and it was made by the Wrigley Corporation back in the 80s, and it was a short short-lived uh, thing and uh, a lot of people uh, a, a lot of a lot of collectors bought it but the kids wouldn't buy it because they thought it might taste like chicken when in fact it was just uh, chicken bubble gum in my likeness in terms of the form famous chicken in 1998 you said that you played to 60 million people over your career now it's 2008 looking at all the stadiums that you've covered how many people have you played to how many millions oh I've got to say it's got to be more than 70 million people in live attendance believe it or not Nardwar I've even I've even even Grand Marshal Mardi Gras parades. I've done World Series events, all-star games. I've gone, uh, oh, around the world. You know, eight countries, four continents. Perform wherever a laugh is appreciated. Heck, N Nardwar, if you know me, I'll even play to an elevator if I have to. 70 million people have watched The Famous Chicken. Who else has been watched by that many people in the history of people? Oh, thank you. I, 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 that's a good question. I, I've got to say, and I thought about this, maybe the Rolling Stones, obviously. I think they've played to a about one or two percent of the entire world population. I've got to say, probably Bob Hope on Heels Alive by virtue of all his USO shows that he did for uh, for American troops, you know, during the war years as well. And I've got to say, probably Willie Nelson who's still going. And um, oh, I, 
don't know about and the, the famous chicken. Well, of course. Can you believe it? And I don't have like a big band behind me. I'm just a one of a kind waddling around the globe. Now, famous chicken, you're number one to me, famous chicken. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you're number one to me, famous chicken. However, Forbes magazine has you as the number two mascot of all time, Philly fanatic number one. How come? Yeah, because they don't know any better. You know, I mean, uh, they're bean counters who don't understand what's going on there in the real world. Things like that happen, Nardwar. You know, it's, it's like them ranking bands. They'd be the last people you go and, and approach and say, oh, I wonder who Forbes magazine thinks the top band in the world is right now. What's the deal on the Philly fanatic, though? He has a hot dog launcher. Do you think that put him to number one, having a hot dog launcher? Uh, no, no. It's because they're back east, and it's the media center uh, of, of the capital and the world back there. And, and if it's in their neighborhood, then everything else must revolve around it. When you live out in California, you know, you don't get that kind of attention. That, that's just the way it is, you know. And so, you know, I don't worry about those things myself, you know. The, the fact of the matter is, I don't see the Philly Fanatic in Vancouver. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> famous Chicken. I would like to ask you about somebody that's really famous. Mm -hmm. Famous Chicken, I hugged you, but you've been kissed by Morgana the Kissing... Bandit! Oh, yes, absolutely. Who is Morgana, the kissing bandit? And is she the competition? Well, you know, back in the day, she was a very voluptuous, to put it politely, very voluptuous young lady who had a, a tendency to, to, to go onto the baseball diamonds and hockey rinks and, and basketball courts and, and kiss athletes during uh, timeout breaks right on their peckers. And, or like, at least for me, at least. And, um, and I gotta tell you, she ganged up on me one night unbeknownst to me and laid a big one uh, right on me and it was a tremendous thrill I, I must say but she did a lot of Hall of Famers a uh, kissed a lot of Hall of Famers shall I say back in her day and she had quite a cult following famous chicken you touch speaking of touching George Bush you've touched George Bush yes I believe it or not uh, he invited me to the White House to perform at the very first t-ball game and uh, in, new, uh, in fact uh, when he ran the Texas Rangers baseball team he was a big fan of mine and invited me to his team twice a year I've even had dinner with him believe it or not and uh, so uh, when he became president he invited me to the White House and that's where I uh, where I performed and it, it was a it was a big thrill being there and and, and seeing oh all the press there and Bob Costas did the play-by-play -play of the game and oh it was it was a, a, a quite an experience I must say. Famous Chicken what sort of strip search did you have to endure going into the White House? Believe it or not now this was pre 9-11 you got to understand none absolutely none they said I, 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 I showed up and I said it's, it's me the famous San Diego Chicken oh right this way sir we've been waiting for you come right in I brought in all my bags nothing nobody even laid a hand on me I didn't believe it or not it was uh, uh, really something uh, and I, I dressed right in the White House itself famous chicken speaking of the famous chicken could you show us a couple quick moves some signature moves by the San Diego famous chicken well whenever I make my entrance uh, my signature move is is my 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 opening bow it's not really a bow it's kind of like one of these like a you know so and and a lot of things that I do I might goof uh, with the players and the umpires but uh, uh, for example hey maybe I do a few little dance steps for you I'm not warmed up yet but uh, as a chicken in heat I think I can pull this off Nardwar are ready for this get ready for a little James Brown split Woo! 
Yeah. And that's the same split that would have performed on the White House lawn, right? Yes, absolutely. And you're bringing it to Vancouver. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I've done it on stage with, a, like I say, a lot of bands. And, uh, oh, man, I've done all the, the talk show circuits and all that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, you might say, Nardwar, I'm at the beak of my career. Baboom! <laughs> oh, famous chicken, what teams have banned you? Haven't the Yankees and Red Sox not allowed the famous chicken into their coop? Well, I've been to New York. I've played Madison Square Garden. I've actually done Shea Stadium. But, uh, yeah, you know, I try to reach out to a few teams. Boston is the only town in all of North America I have not played. I might be banned in Boston and not even know it, Nardwar. Why would they do that? I don't know. I don't know. You'd think, you'd think chicken goes real good with baked beans. But no, they haven't had me back there. I think, you know, the, the fans are great. They really look like they're great. I think the front offices are a little buttoned down and take themselves very seriously. But, you know, that's okay. You know, that's the way things go. I've been all throughout Massachusetts, been all throughout New England, just not Boston itself. And I, like I say, I've played all throughout New York for a lot of various teams, but not the Yankees. They take themselves quite seriously. Got to respect that, I suppose. Famous Chicken, at a game, you get totally involved, don't you? You become like the first base coach. Yes, yes. I coach a first base coach's box. I goof with the players, the umpires, the coaches, the fans. In fact, I'll even satirize myself a little bit. And so it just goes to add a, a little bit of fun and frivolity for the fans who are coming out. It's just like I say, chicken shtick. You also go to basketball games and bribe the refs, and they accept. Yes, yes. Oh, have they ever accepted? Now it's coming full circle on the news. But yes, but I do it in jest and in fun. But uh, yes, I've done all, all kinds of bits like that where I, I will take to the court and uh, and uh, you might say a little chicken feed, a poultry sum with, with the uh, with the umpires there and, full, and the referees in full view. And uh, yeah, yeah, they seem to they play along quite honestly, Nardwar. Famous chicken. We have hockey. We have basketball. We go back to hockey, Joe Lewis Arena. Oh, you know, I've played a lot of venues in the NHL and throughout the minor leagues in hockey, and I enjoy it. You know, I mean, I, I, and believe it or not, my position growing up when I was a kid in Canada, I played goalie. So you might say a chicken is good in a cage, but... Uh, You're good at the hockey, and I was wondering, at Joe Louis Arena, there's a lot of octopi that get thrown on the ice. Have you ever had an octopi thrown at you? What have you had thrown at you? No, I've never been there for a playoff game now I've uh, at Joe Louis. Uh, but, uh, uh, and I've done Joe Louis, but uh, not for the wings themselves, Believe it or not, I was there one time when the Pistons played some playoff uh, uh, playoff basketball games there in the NBA. But um, they didn't throw octopus then because it doesn't really go with basketball. But um, uh, but uh, yeah. In the Have you been involved in any riots or anything thrown at you at all, famous chicken? Because of course it was the disco demolition that wasn't involving no, you. No, I was not there. Well, you say about the disco demolition that involves mascots, doesn't it, to a degree? Well, no, it's more disco. About, uh, <laughs> about disco music. Yeah, and, and I yeah, believe me, I was there in spirit that night. Uh, uh, although that happened in 79, um, I was not there physically, but I, I could relate to what those fans were going through, you know, but um, uh, especially, you know, if, you, if you're a rock and roll aficionado as I am, uh, you know, I like to say rock around the clock. Famous chicken, what about riots? So have you been involved in any riots? I was mentioning octopi getting thrown at you. What sort of hairy situations have you got yourself through? No, I've never had any, I've never been involved in any riots. Uh, I've, I've uh, uh, maybe the closest I ever came was, uh, again, uh, when I was uh, Grand Marshal of the Mardi Gras Parade down in New Orleans. Now, you haven't seen humanity shoulder to shoulder like is there. And, and it is really more of a love fest. It is nuts. Uh, it's crazed. But it's always a lot of fun there, not, not 
hardware, I gotta tell you. But uh, these people, ju they just, uh, they just love you, man. And 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 uh, if anything, they'll tear your wings off just out of out of affection. You're quite mean sometimes, aren't you, famous chicken? Mean in what regard? You're I... mean to dinosaurs. Oh, <laughs> my friend, you are doing your homework. Yes, you might say that. Uh, there's a certain purple dinosaur that uh, I, well, I can't explain it. Here I am doing my show. The guy shows up. You know, he's obviously jealous of all the attention I'm getting. And so he challenges me right there in the middle of a diamond to a dance contest. Well, uh, he, you know, then he starts breakdancing and kind of shows me up and, uh, you know, complications ensue and a uh, slap fight begins and uh, hey I had to put him down what do you say you had the last word you always have the last word I gotta put him down that's true in fact you know truth story here at Nardwar the, the guy actually sued me the Barney people actually sued me to try and stop me from doing that routine and they lost that lawsuit and they also had to pay all my legal bills so that was pretty cool <laughs> take that Barney Woo! how do you like me now dinosaur guy Woo! famous chicken how do you keep so clean here we are at a baseball diamond there's all this dirt and stuff. How do you keep so clean? Well, I just took a bird bath, Nardwar. So, you know, I'll be ready for the game, though, tonight. Because your outfit is impeccable. Oh, it is impeccable. I like that one. <laughs> oh, I'm stealing that one. That's a good one. I like it. <laughs> Thank you so much, famous oh, chicken. Oh. <laughs> I, I guess that's what I was curious about. Cleaning and stuff. You get to go into the showers with, like, A-Rod. You get to clean up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I don't like to go in there too much because they kind of get jealous of me you know uh, uh, they, they tend to peek at my McNuggets and then the, the, it gets it's a real buzz kill there in the shower so I, I wait for the boys to be done then I go in there what about yourself have you ever been unmasked have anybody tried to get an unauthorized photo of the famous chicken oh no that's no fun it's like Santa Claus pulling down his beard or seeing who really Batman is yeah nobody wants that I mean for heaven's sakes that's real life just trying to have a little fun here you have let people though famous chicken into your suit haven't you Pete Rose yeah. went into your suit yes I Absolutely. I, Pete Rose actually got into my suit for WrestleMania. He actually stole it right out of my locker, went out there into the ring, tried to disguise himself as, as me, and, and then he ended up getting body slammed. Served him right, I, I, I gotta say. But also... Uh, did I, you have to wrestle Jesse to Body Ventura? Yes, I did, my friend. Good, that's right. I, in fact, it was at a, a wrestling match. How come Pete wasn't in the suit then? No, he wasn't there. <laughs> but I, I was in the corner for Jerry the King Lawler, and Jesse the Body Ventura was the wrestler, and I did stuff that he didn't appreciate, like untying his shoelaces when he was in the corner or tripping him by the ankles when he wasn't looking. And he got so fed up, Nardwar, he actually jumped the ropes and started chasing me through the arena, and he was disqualified. He was counted out. So I kind of helped uh, uh, Jerry Lawler win that wrestling match against him. Did George Bush know about this? No, no, I, I, he did not know about that. Because I mentioned George Bush, I mentioned Jesse the Body Von Chira, mm -hmm. but you've met some other presidents too, like Ford. You've met quite a few dignitaries. Oh, yes, yes, Ford and Reagan and lots of governors, uh, kings uh, around the world, believe it or not. Hard to believe a guy in a chicken suit can be invited to meet all these people, but it happens, you know, and so, um, uh, but uh, as well as lots of athletes. Heck, I've even partied with Jack Nicholson, believe it or not. Has anybody else want to climb into the suit? Like, for instance, when you're partying with Jack Nicholson, are like, hey, chicken, let me...
let me get in the suit. <laughs> well, actually, it was at a Halloween contest that, and, and, and our Halloween party, and, and Jack came dressed up as a pig. And needless to say, we were ham and eggs that night. <laughs> Ba-boom! <laughs> now, Famous Chicken, what about Barry Bonds? What's your interaction with Barry Bonds over the years? You've had a long, distinguished career. He's had a long, distinct... <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Barry, I knew a lot in the minor leagues and, and did not uh, get to know him quite as well in the major leagues because uh, my schedule and his, the, they would never schedule me with the Giants quite a bit because they were a big draw when Barry was. And so in the major leagues, they would schedule me more against the lesser light teams. But, uh, but I, I saw him in, in the minors and he seemed to be a, a good guy then. But that was a long time ago, needless to say, when he was a lot smaller. What do the players think of you? Like, what's the interaction with the famous chicken? Are they always down with it? What players maybe haven't had a good time. What players have had a good time with the famous oh, yeah, chicken? Yeah. You'd be surprised, uh, Nardwar. A lot of the players actually think of the gags and routines for me. They do have a good sense of humor. And and uh, when you play 162 games and a guy in a chicken suit shows up, believe me, it tends to break the monotony for them, they tell me. So the, they've come up with gags and routines for me as well. But guys who, who didn't appreciate it, oh, one of them was Frank Thomas, who's now in, in the twilight of his career. You know, uh, and another guy was a guy named... What Ed did he find offense with? Oh, just my showing up. He just thought that, uh, you know, I, I would uh, be goofing, uh, you know, in and around with him and something that he really didn't want. And I, uh, nothing personal. I had nothing planned with him. But, you know, he'd make a scene in the in the locker room and uh, and uh, thinking I was going to approach him when I'm really talking to his teammates. Things like that. I mean, I, can I say, I you know, I know there was a lot of steroid use back in, in those days a few years ago. And, uh, and I'm not pointing or castigating anybody or pointing fingers. But, you know, uh, you, you just wonder what's true and what's roid rage sometimes. Famous Chicken, people have grown up with you. Like, the players have grown up with you. Yeah. You take little chicks out, and some of these chicks have grown up to be players, haven't they? Yes, believe it or not, the first baseman for the Chicago White Sox nowadays, Nick Swisher, was a little chicken baby when he was four years old. This is where I dress up little kids in baby chicken suits, and they follow me onto the field for an inning break, and they copy all my moves. Well, believe it or not, Nick Swisher told me when he was four years old, I pulled them out of the grass stand in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, before a minor league game for our Mets affiliate, and uh, dressed him up in the suit, and he says to me, to this day, that's the proudest his mother has ever been of him on a baseball field. And they're well aware of the famous chicken then, so like you should have no problem doing any of your act, should you? Oh no, oh, they love Like who doesn't know the famous chicken? Well, thank you, my friend, uh, you're, you're very kind to suggest that. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing, um, you, you'd be surprised as well. Umpires have invited me to their homes for dinner. They send me Christmas cards, believe it or not. They take me out uh, for drinks or, or, or uh, uh, to an eatery after the game. It, it's, it's really amazing. So, you know, if you've got a sense of humor and, and it conveys itself well, heck, um, everybody opens up the doors for you, it seems. Famous chicken, you're not the only one to be in a chicken suit, are you? There was the famous black comedian, the first black superstar, Burt Williams. Uh, no, I'm not aware of him. No, maybe you can fill me in. Burt Williams was the first black superstar and he wore a chicken suit. I did not know that. And I guess what I was wondering is, what do you think about other people that are carrying on the word of the chicken? Wow. Wow. I did not and know about Burt Williams, but um, uh, as far as... Uh, what other chickens are there? Uh, to my knowledge, I'm the only one in existence. To Let me offer up another chicken okay. for you, okay. famous chicken. We have here the Rhythm Chicken. Have you heard of the Rhythm Chicken? 
No, no. In fact, that looks like a bunny. Yes, that's the whole gag. He dresses like a bunny, but he calls himself the Rhythm Chicken. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he plays at Brewers games. I did not know that. And he's yeah. a columnist for this esteemed magazine, Razor Cake, but he just sets up and plays his drums, the Rhythm Chicken. Wow. I remember a few years ago, Burger King had a character that was uh, really, I guess you might say, um, kind of like a punk chicken. That, that was a little fascinating, but I did not know about the Rhythm Chicken. That is very cool. The Rhythm Chicken. Have you done much stuff with the Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers? No, I've been into Milwaukee for the Bucks NBA, and I've been in there for their minor league hockey team known as the Admirals, but never been in there for the Brewers, although I did a cameo appearance many years ago just for an inning break. But they've never had me unofficially as a marquee event. You should, like, team up with the Rhythm Chicken. I think it would be amazing, the Rhythm Chicken and the Famous Chicken. He'd bring his drums. He'd have a great time. That is really great. I, I bet he handles those skins pretty good. I'll have to check out. He is a totally professional drummer, just like you're a totally professional individual there, Mr. Famous Chicken. That is very cool. I did not know about that, Nardwar. Mr. Famous Chicken, being a professional, if I want to bring you to my event, it only is going to cost 22 cents per customer? Well, yeah, you know, it depends. You know, it's very interesting. It's a poultry sum, believe it or not. So, um, yeah, I've gone uh, nationwide. I've played all the venues, from amateur sports all the way up to the big leagues, and I've even done trade shows, parades, conventions, and, and, the, and the gamut. So, uh, yeah. Because Plan B Marketing said it costs only 22 cents per fan to bring this famous chicken in. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and, and like I say, it's just chicken feed in, in essence, but uh, yeah, in, in a general sense, yeah, I suppose uh, that that would be, uh, I guess, a, a worthy value for a little extra added inducement to a, a fan buying a ticket. Famous Chicken, lastly here, you've also played the Grand Old Opry? Oh, wow, man. I gotta tell you, Nardwire, you are doing your homework. Yes, I was on stage at the Grand Old Opry, and I did, uh, believe it or not, a whole lot of shaking going on to chicken lyrics, or you might say just clucking, a lot of clucking around. But it, it in front of 5,000 people there on a live broadcast, it was really, I got to tell you, I, I, I really felt what it was like Mick Jagger strutting around like a rooster. Yeah, could you do a little bit for us right now just to end the interview at all, Famous Chicken? A bit, a whole lot of shaking going on. Oh, okay. Something like that. At the Grand Old Opry of Vancouver. And with a band behind me, no less, and I was improvised at the spur of the moment. At the time, believe it or not, I was I was on a back lot of the Grand Old Opry taping a show called Hee Haw, which was uh, uh, amazing. Amazing. And during a break, uh, the, the producers of the Grand Old Opry say, Chicken, you want to come out and do a cameo in front of uh, 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 the, the Grand Old Opry itself? So I came over, improvised some stuff, and uh, voila, couldn't believe that I was on there. So yeah, it's amazing how things can happen by the, the spur of your tail. Famous Chicken, anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Well, yes, absolutely. I love coming to Canada. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, it, it's, it's amazing the passion the people have of Canada for their sense of humor. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible. It's a great audience to perform for. And it's, I, I feel like a favorite son. I've, I've got to tell you. It, it's, it's really, I'm always honored uh, to come back to my home country and, and, and perform. It's, it's, uh, it's like seeing family, you might say. And I really enjoy it. What? 
Why should people care about the famous chicken? Why should people care? Well, Nardwar, you know, if, if, if you like something irreverent, if you like to think out of the box, if you like to see something fresh, special, and, and unusual, I suppose, you know, if, if a sense of humor counts, then uh, I like to think that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm right there for you. And uh, just adding a little embellishment, you know, uh, you got to laugh in this life. As Jimmy Buffett said, if we couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. And I like to live by that spirit. So maybe, maybe if you keep that mantra in, involved in, in your mind, maybe that's why I add a little bit. Well, thanks so much for your time, Famous Chicken. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do 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 Whoop, 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 Ah, yeah! Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. Dennis Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. 27 batters and no one got on base. He stared them down and he put them in their place. 27 batters and 27 outs. Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. Dennis Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. At Dodger Stadium in 1991. Hard work for him, but we sure had lots of fun. El Presidente, the star of the show. El Presidente. Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. Dennis Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. Dennis Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. Dennis Martinez, he pitched a perfect game. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. You just heard brand new from Shanker and Romps from Ottawa, Ontario. Dennis Martinez, colon, he pitched a perfect game. And before Shanker and Romps, we had an interview with Mr. Famous Chicken, the San Diego Chicken. Coming up on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, excerpts from the book I Have Fun Everywhere I Go by Mike Edison. Now, the book I Have Fun Everywhere I Go is Savage Tales of Pot, Porn, Punk Rock, Pro Wrestling, Talking Apes, Evil Bosses, Dirty Blues, and American Heroes, and, and, and the notorious, notorious, notorious magazines in the world, such as Screw Magazine. It comes with the recommendation from Nick Toshes, the esteemed Nick Toshes, quote, this book is beyond blurbs. So let's just get to the jack. If you have any interest in pot, 
pornography, punk rock, or professional wrestling. Just buy this effing thing. Much more important than food for the table or the starving children of wherever. Nick Toshes. So coming up, excerpts from Mike Edison's book, I Have Fun Everywhere I Go, read by Mike Edison with music provided by John Spencer. And also, please tune out if you are easily offended by, well, the, the following. Pornography, Gigi Allen, Space Bop, Wrestling, Aussie High Times, and Mike Edison. So please tune out. Some adult words would be coming up and obviously anticipated in this reading from I have everything, everything, everything. I have fun. I have fun everywhere I go by Mike Edison as read by Mike Edison. So tune out right now if you're young and scared or if you're old and scared because Mike Edison is coming up right now reading from his book. Number one, pornography. Number two, punk rock. Number three, drugs. That's not a resume, that's a crime scene. I didn't even bother to list my years working the wrestling beat. I didn't want to gild the lily. But man, I needed a job. I had Screw Magazine on the speed dial, so I gave them a shout. I figured they might be in the market for a smut peddler with a pedigree. It is harder than you might imagine to find someone to critique porn movies, at least someone sentient who still has their sight after years of chronic self-abuse. Man of steel that I am, I took that gig and began writing under the name Lord Zeppelin. Pornography is an illusion painted as reality, more fantastic than any James Bond movie or Star Wars. The sex in these movies doesn't exist. You could be the best-looking cable repairman in the world and carrying 12 inches of salty lunch meat in your shorts, but there is no way on God's green earth that you are ever going to end up having your mind or anything else blown by a raven-haired, double-breasted mattress thrasher with bee-stung lips, welcoming thighs and a dewy pudenda who answers the door in a diaphanous kimono with nine-inch heels caressing a bottle of baby oil. You have a better chance of becoming a Jedi Knight and destroying the Death Star. What's really scary about the porn movie business is just how geeky the fans who watch this crud really are. It may not be surprising that hardcore porn fans suffer from a lack of social skills, but what you probably don't realize is they can go toe-to-toe with comic book guy or a dozen triple-loving Trekkies and their knowledge of their hobby and its mind-melting minutia. Fucking by its very nature is a repetitive business. You can bet that porn fans, real porn fans, can pontificate endlessly on the Rubik's Cube of multi-partner variations with Kama Sutra-like authority and discuss the subtleties of double penetration with the verbal alacrity of Gail Green deconstructing dinner at the Cirque. The screw style does not cater to such gentility. Reviewing seven volumes worth of Omar's anal adventures for our special Black History Month issue, Lord Zeppelin effused, Omar spoke so much spizzle in this jizz fest, you'd think he had a jar of helmets hidden in his ass. 
It was about a year after the dawn of Lord Zeppelin when I was asked to become the new editor-in-chief of Screw, and I agreed immediately. Screw had gone belly up, run into the ground by its founder and publisher, Al Goldstein, the corpulent media whore and vociferous loudmouth, so filthy, so reckless in whom he would attack and screw that even other pornographers avoided him like a summoned server. Meanwhile, Screw's longtime art director, Kevin, had been approached to become a partner in buying Screw out of bankruptcy and relaunching it, and Kevin asked me if I wanted the gig. Now I love Kevin. He's a master of cock and mouth composites, a regular Picasso with a cut and paste hatchet jobs. Not only did he have the magic touch with the scissors, he actually enjoyed it. Tell the man that this was the week we were going to turn Tom Cruise's narrow white ass into a Hollywood dick depot, or strap a dildo on Hillary Clinton and bung it up the rump of the Republican du jour, and he would take to it like Chief Wiggum to a jelly donut. I looked forward to going to work every day. In fact, some days I'd wake up so inspired, gifted of such felicity of phrase that I could effortlessly cast a cover line that succinctly captured the gestalt of screw before even getting out of bed, and that I would skip happily all the way to work. Russian volleyball sluts. Zero gravity swingers. Super horny sex women go blowjob crazy. They all met with great public approval. That last one made us a bundle. We toured to celebrity frauds, hacks and hypocrites, Courtney Love, Dick Cheney, Michael Bloomberg, Katie Cork, and the stars of American Idol all felt our wrath. Madonna was a regular. But our best work was our patriotic broadside for the 2004 Republican National Convention, which was held in New York City at Madison Square Garden, right up the street from our offices. John Kerry is a big homo! We screamed on the cover, and then in a red, white, and blue banner, screw cells out. Welcome, Republicans. You had to figure that these out-of-town swine were all big money pervs, and it was gonna be a boom time for our advertisers. Chicks with dicks, enema specialists, discipline freaks, cross-dressers, and all the other hard-to-find indulgences that right-wing moralists go for when they hit Sin City. Inside the magazine, we featured a spirited four-page eye popper called the Manchurian Cocksucker that featured John Kerry flating George W. Bush under the Yale University Skull and Crossbones logo. Arnold Schwarzenegger terminating Ralph Nader's ultra-liberal bunghole. Fat-ass Bolshevik muckraker Michael Moore spilling his seed in Fox News boy Bill O'Reilly's craggy face. One more picture of our fearless leader, President Bush. This time being terrorized, oh, but gently, by ass-banded-at-large Osama bin Laden. And Secretary of State Condi Rice, her martini glass tits chilling in the breeze, capped in patriotic star-spangled pasties, and wearing a beauty pageant sash that read, Miss Negro Congeniality, 1967. Sometimes it was hard to tell if we had gone too far. We were just trying to have some fun at the expense of, well, everybody. But after a million manufactured celebrity squack shots, unreality ran high, and it was impossible to tell if we crossed some sort of line. We were simply too close to the material to be a fair gauge anymore. So, one day, we asked our friend John Holmstrom, the founder of Punk Magazine, and also a screw contributor, to come by the office so we could get his valued opinion. He took one look at us and said flatly, you guys are going to jail. It was the nicest thing anyone had ever said to us.
friend of mine. When I heard the news, I was not surprised. The only shock was that he lasted as long as he did. He was 36 years old.
The application for the Journalist in Space program came in a groove folder decorated with a fountain pen, soaring through the cosmos, and I filled it out in earnest. Clearly, I was the right man for this job. I was, after all, a pornographer and a wrestling beat writer. Yes, it would have taken a little vision from the slide rule boys in the lab coats down at Cape Canaveral. But as far as I was concerned, that was exactly the kind of pioneering spirit that made America great. Walter Cronkite was too old, and Peter Jennings, the prohibited favorite, was Canadian for fuck's sake. Unfortunately, the teacher in space blew up, and I'll never know how close I came to making that short list. Man, I'll never know. you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwater Human Serviette Radio Show. And those just there were some excerpts from Mike Edison's book, I Have Fun Everywhere I Go. Mike Edison and the Rocket Train Delta Science Orchestra featuring John Spencer. Here's some more. <laughs> truth about professional wrestling, it has been said, is much like Dostoevsky's aphorism for faith. If you get it, no explanation is necessary, and if you don't, no explanation will do. I was always astonished at how many otherwise hit people, especially in my extended posse of supposedly open-minded punk rockers, potheads, and pornographers, people who loved all sorts of crap culture vultures who worship whoopee cushions and women in chains prison movies perpetually poo-pooed professional wrestling. Were they afraid they'd get hooked? That wrestling was a gateway to a harder sport? Fair! Fair! But those of us in on the joke were having a blast. of the nascent WrestleMania, a good time to be in the business. Diane Keaton was seen at matches. MTV was saturated with the stuff. You couldn't give a God-fearing jobber a swinging neckbreaker without hitting a poster for Hulk Hogan and Mr. T, who, along with Cyndi Lauper, were going to take on Rowdy Roddy Piper and his Axis of Evil in the WrestleMania event at Madison Square Garden. Muhammad Ali was the guest referee. Liberace would be the timekeeper using a diamond-crusted piano-shaped watch given to him by Elvis Presley. He made his entrance with a chorus line of rockets. How could anybody resist this stuff? Even Andy Warhol showed up to watch. 
Vince McMahon, a visionary on par with Columbus, had joined his World Wrestling Federation, much to the chagrin of elitists and squares who never got it into a media giant. I prided myself on being the first heel editor. Heel is wrestling argot for bad guy. We call the good guys baby faces. A jobber is one of them bums whose only job it is to get their asses kicked. I modeled myself after the great rule breakers, outlaws who would pull a pair of brass knuckles, a roll of quarters, or a sharpened wooden tongue depressor out of their trunks to carve up and KO the good guy when the referee wasn't looking. No, 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 no,
It is the only sport where you can kick a man when he's down. Just putting Bob Marley on the cover is gonna be looking for a new job. I would get in a lot of trouble for saying things like that, but seriously, Bob fucking Marley? That's the best you've got? Clearly these guys had run out of ideas. Bob Marley had already been on the cover three times. There wasn't a whole lot left to report. After years of pumping out seedy sex books and down market filth, promoting the careers of devil-worshipping wrestlers and bourbon street strippers, I had finally scored my dream job, publisher of marijuana magazine, High Times, what my grandma used to call that dope rag. I had just finished giving one of my big speeches, and one editor whose eyes looked like hemorrhoids from years of staring down the length of a water pipe thumbed through an old issue dispassionately. Another amused himself with a chocolate chip cookie, and the others had as much interest in my pep rally as a monkey might have in a chess match. I should have brought them a bright red rubber ball to play with, or a coconut, because man, these guys knew how to make a totally excellent bong out of a coconut. The music editor was always the last to arrive at these meetings and usually eating a pile of snacks, making a mess. Finally, crumbs all over the place, he said. I think we can get David Crosby. Are you kidding me? David fucking Crosby? And here I had my heart set on Joan Baez. Man, this was not gonna be easy. He was the only editor in the world who thought that punk was a passing fad and that disco was cool. It was one of those rare moments of real life, deus ex machina, when Ozzy Osbourne's publicist called, just moments after the meeting broke up. The music editor fielded the call, actually put the woman on hold, and came into my office. Ozzy Osbourne wants to be in our magazine. Well, what are you waiting for? Tell them, yes! up hangover, playing oldies for a souped-up county fair circuit. No magazine in the world would even consider putting him on the cover, except for High Times. And for a change, there was some enthusiasm in our Union Square offices, where once there was only the sticky resin of stoner ennui, there was now an old-fashioned buzz. Except for one moldy old fig of a hippie, our own tie-dyed Lord Voldemort, who was trying to rebuild his army of darkness to battle my regime of common sense and daytime sobriety. Putting Ozzy on the cover, he proselytized, will kill the magazine. We're hippies. Ozzy Osbourne is heavy metal. We'll lose all of our readers. Edison is destroying high times. photo shoot went great. The studio was dressed beautifully with red velvet curtains, all manners of skulls, daggers, and chalices, a ridiculous throne perfect for the singer of Black Sabbath, and of course, 
the veggies, the product, that's the green. Ozzy Osbourne was the picture book definition of drug casualty, and he shuffled in with his entourage, a couple of spinal tap looking roadie dudes trying to keep him on a short leash. But when Ozzy saw a chrome skull filled with bright green weed, he flipped. Fuck! Is that real? You bet it is, Oz. You wanna try some? His handlers weren't too crazy about Ozzy getting stoned, since aside from being a notorious drug fiend, Ozzy was notoriously in rehab. But they couldn't stop him from taking a few hits, and the shoot was on. and talk to the skull filled with pot like a heavy metal hamlet. It was a beautiful thing, and despite his fried synapses and latent brain damage, he was a total pro, good-natured, easy to deal with. It was the next day when I got socked with the bill for the pot. Now let me tell you how this works. Normally, the product is rented, which means borrowed, with the understanding that we'll buy a few ounces at about 700 bucks a pop. And then I pay for what we call shrinkage. At the beginning of the day, the dealer weighs the product, and after we're done, he weighs it again. Naturally, some weed gets lost after being moved around, say, from the skull to the chalice. But not ounces of superbly intact buds, the kind of buds you'd club a brontosaurus over the head with, the kind of buds Fred Flintstone would smoke. I think it was the design dude, a grouchy slug of a man. He looked like Charles Manson, but without the good vibes. It would inform me that I would have to come up with an additional $1,600 to cover the shrinkage. $1,600? Oi fucking vey! What was Ozzy eating the shit? I wouldn't be surprised. The guy had a reputation for eating the heads off of bats and snorting ants. What happened? It better not have been any of our guys. No, no. It was Ozzy's roadie dudes, I was told. They were stuffing their pockets with weed when they left. Why didn't Ozzy just ask? Boosting the stash was pretty square, no class. We would have given him whatever he wanted, out of pure respect, if only he had asked. And now everyone in the office is talking about the stolen pot, and there's no work getting done, and I'm getting the blame. Damn, you think I was diverting money to a Republican fundraiser? Hey, I was steamed about going over budget on the shoot too, but we just scored a major coup with Ozzy Osbourne. Everybody should be tickled pink, but nothing at high times happens without drama. Star Pilfer's Pot, Chaos Reigns Supreme at Stoner Photoshoot was an irresistible hook, a beautiful headline. Cause much like the entire Stoner world, the scandal sheets loved Ozzy for all the great copy he has provided over the years, pissing on the Alamo and drag, and committing various acts of barbarous onstage animal carnivorism. If I didn't exploit this, I just wouldn't be doing my job. store to page six, the world's most read celebrity gossip column in my favorite right-wing hate sheet, the New York Post. 
They had always been friendly to us, at the very least, because everyone likes to snicker at a goofy pot magazine. Ozzy and High Times get together and the weed goes missing. Duh! The next day, the story appeared on page six in a featured box with a photo of Ozzy chewing on a fistful of reefer, the same shot that was used on the cover. Man, it didn't get any better than that. A-list celebrities paid professional ass lickers like Lizzie Grubman 25 grand a month for that kind of ink. But the rank and file high times were less than happy. The office was buzzing with mutiny. The old hippie was howling at the moon. Paranoid potheads of a strange fear publicity. And by calling the paper, I had committed a capital sin, and they are now screaming for my head. Associate stoner on the floor was calling up town directly to the offices of High Times owners who would presumably fire me if there was enough pressure from the staff. Except the High Times muckety mucks were fed up with being bothered by petulant editors who thought they could go over the head of the publisher every time something ruffled their feathers. They were tired of the asylum being run by the inmates. Still, it wasn't long before I got a call from the big boss. Actually, it was one of his honey voice proxies, and she sounded like she had nice legs. Mike, she intoned like a cross-school teacher who's going to have to meet out some discipline. What is going on down there? Everyone is calling us about this Aussie fellow. I explained what happened, omitting no details. We understand, she said, that this man bites the heads off of bats. Yes, I deadpanned. Those rumors have reached my ears. And I wouldn't be worrying too much about his reputation, Mike. Thanks. You're doing a great job. The Aussie issue was one of the best-selling issues in High Times history. But in a crowd of corporate hippies and career paranoiacs, it was just the beginning of a whole world of trouble.